Good evening and welcome to our Wednesday night study of the book of Ephesians from Mercedes Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. I'm Pastor Chris Hall. It is good to have you with us on this Wednesday evening. Just a word for our Mercedes Baptist Church family. Of course, uh, our church family has been dealing with uh, illness and sickness in our church family. We have been praying for one another and praying for those who have been sick. Uh, we, we've been dealing uh, with a little bit of the COVID outbreak, but uh, the good news is that our people are getting better and they're getting stronger and they're overcoming the illness, and we are grateful to the Lord for that. Now, uh, to, tonight, uh, Wednesday night, normally we're in our sanctuary, our beautiful sanctuary at Mercedes Baptist Church. You can see a picture of it uh, behind me. Usually on Wednesday night, we have a wonderful time on Wednesday nights, uh, meeting together with our church family to pray with one another and sing songs of faith and to study the Word of God and uh, to uh, just have a wonderful time together. Uh, we're, we're not doing that tonight in our sanctuary, but this coming Sunday, Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, we'll have Sunday school at 11. have our morning worship time. So uh, we want to encourage everyone to be with us on Sunday. Use those precautions if you want to use those precautions of wearing a mask, and we'll be trying to practice social distancing and all of that. But it's time to get back into God's house together with God's people. And so we're looking very much forward to doing that this coming Sunday morning at Mercedes Baptist Church. Now tonight, uh, on Wednesday nights at Mercedes, we have been studying the book of Ephesians. And tonight we're going to continue that study. We're in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. We'll be reading those verses and looking at those verses in just a moment. And tonight we'll be studying the subject from these verses, the church under construction. And uh, I think it'll be a blessing uh, for you and uh, hopefully an encouragement to you in these days. Ephesians uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 19. We'll turn there in just a moment. But before we do, let's do take a moment to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for a good day today, a blessed day today. Thank you for who you are and all that you do for us. We pray for those who are sick in our church and sick in our community, those who are suffering with illnesses in our community. We pray for all of them. We pray for your healing hand be with each and every one, your encouraging hand to be with all of us these days, Lord. I pray that you will give us health and give us healing. I pray that you'll bless our church, Father, that in the days to come, uh, that uh, you will help us to carry out our mission, carry out the ministry that you have given to us as a, as a church, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that is uh, locked in darkness, spiritual darkness, so desperately needing hope and a message uh, of good news from heaven. So I pray that you'll bless our church, that we might be able to fulfill our mission and our ministry. And I pray not only for our church, but I pray for all the churches around us. May you bless your people, I pray. And I pray that in the days to come, the kingdom of God in this area will grow with people coming to have faith and trust in Christ as their Savior and Lord. Bless our churches. Bless our nation. We pray, Heavenly Father, and be with our nation in these days. We desperately need revival and renewal, and we pray for that. And tonight we say a special prayer for those who are in the wake or facing the hurricane in Florida. 
uh, Hurricane Ian. We pray for our friends in Florida and for all of those who are being affected and will be affected by the hurricane. We pray that you will bless them and watch over them and give them protection. Thank you, Father, again for your goodness and grace. And bless us tonight, I pray, as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we're from uh, we're, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, and in just a moment we'll begin reading in verse 19. Of Ephesians, obviously, is what we call a prison epistle. It is a letter written by the Apostle Paul during his first imprisonment in Rome. And Paul wrote this letter. He sent it, of course, to the church at Ephesus. Paul is in Rome. Ephesus is in uh, what we would know today as modern-day Turkey. Uh, and Paul wanted to encourage this church. And he, he felt led by the Holy Spirit to write a wonderful letter of encouragement and teaching and doctrine. And uh, it, it's just a wonderful letter. It was a wonderful letter for the church at Ephesus, Ephesus to receive uh, when that church received it. And it's a wonderful letter for us to study today. Of course, the Word of God is always relevant. And Ephesians is certainly a relevant book, a relevant part of the Word of God is all the Word of God is relevant, but it's relevant for us today. And so uh, we continue our study uh, tonight from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. So let's read these verses together. The Apostle Paul wrote, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Now the you that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2.19, he's talking to Gentiles. And he's saying to you Gentiles, to those who uh, were not part of the the uh, Jewish uh, nation, he, he, he's saying, now through the gospel, you are no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners uh, to God and, and to what God wants to do in the world and what God wants to do in your life. But now you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, last week in our study of the uh, book of Ephesians, we saw how faith in Jesus Christ tears down walls between people. Uh, we, we saw how faith in Jesus Christ tears down that wall of separation between us and God. Uh, that wall of separation that we erected between us and God because of our sin, because of our trespasses against God. Through Jesus Christ, that wall of separation between us and God is taken down. And we're reconciled to uh, God the Father. We're made a, a part of His kingdom. Uh, we're, we're made children uh, into the children of God, and we're acceptable to God because of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ tears down that wall between us and God. Also, we saw last week that Jesus Christ tears down the walls between people. Paul talked about especially last week how uh, Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, uh, tore down the wall between uh, Jew and Gentile and all of those uh, human distinctions that separate people. Now in Jesus Christ, people are brought together, not separated, but brought together and made into what Paul called a new man, that is, uh, a new kind of humanity. And he's about the church, that in the church, uh, it, uh, those human distinctions that separate people no longer matter, uh, Jew and Gentile, and men or women are educated, uneducated, 
whatever culture, uh, whatever uh, place a person may come from, those things no longer matter in Jesus Christ. Now everyone is brought together in his church and we're all equal. It's a new kind of humanity, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, where those distinctions that separate people no longer matter. So that's what Paul was talking about last week, how Jesus tears the walls down that separate people from God and people from one another. Now tonight we're going to look how Jesus is in the business of building his church. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ was a carpenter. He was raised by a carpenter. His human father, Joseph, was a carpenter, and Jesus learned the trade of a carpenter. He, he was called the carpenter of Nazareth. And so Jesus knows about building. And in these verses, the Apostle Paul talks about how Jesus is building the church. Now, when we talk about the church, we could be talking about the church universal. That is, all of God's people who make up the church invisible, uh, perhaps, or the church universal. And that's one certainly one way of looking at the church. But usually when the New Testament talks about the church or to the church, it's talking, not talking about the church universal, but the church local, local congregations, local churches. And so much of the truth that is spoken about in the New Testament about the church is spoken to local churches. And so that's the aspect that we're going to look at tonight, how important the local church is to the life of the Christian and how important the local church is to the work of the kingdom of God and carrying out the ministry and, and the, uh, the work of the kingdom of God, the mission of the kingdom of God, the local church and how important it is, it is to carrying out that ministry. Now, you will hear people say sometimes, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't really care for the church. Maybe they've had bad experiences in churches. Maybe they've, you know, become dissatisfied uh, with the church that they're a part of. And sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I just don't really care about the church. Well, let's talk about that. Let's address that kind of thinking. While the Lord Jesus and his church are not identical, it's important to understand that the Lord Jesus and his church are inseparable. Now, let me say that again. While the Lord Jesus and his church are not identical, they are inseparable. Let me give an illustration. My wife and I are not identical, but there is a bond between us, my wife and I, that makes us inseparable. We're not identical, but we are inseparable because of that bond that we have with one another. In other words, when my wife hurts, I hurt. What brings joy to my wife brings joy to me. If you have an issue with my wife, well, then you have an issue with me. What happens to my wife happens to me. My wife and I are separate, but we're also inseparable. There is a bond there between us. Well, the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. The church and the Lord Jesus are not identical, but please understand that the church and the Lord Jesus Christ are inseparable. In other words, if you have a problem with the church, you have a problem with the Lord Jesus. 
And you can say this, and it's true. The Lord Jesus takes what happens to his church very personally. You might remember when Saul of Tarsus was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christian people, to persecute the church of uh, Jesus Christ in Damascus. As Saul of Tarsus was on his way to Damascus, and the Lord Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, revealed himself to Saul of Tarsus. According uh, to Acts chapter 9, verse 4, and, and this was the later Paul, the apostle, who was sharing his personal testimony, he said that Jesus asked him this question when he stopped him on the road to Damascus. And Jesus asked this question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul of Tarsus was on the way to uh, Damascus to persecute the church. And in fact, Saul of Tarsus had been persecuting the church in Jerusalem. In other words, what Jesus was saying is this, Saul, when you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. What happens to the church, I take very personally. Jesus and the church are separate, but they're inseparable. What, what happens to the church, the Lord Jesus takes very personally. Now, we all know this is true. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world is not perfect. We know that there are imperfections in the church. In fact, Ephesians 5.27 makes that very clear. Uh, Ephesians 5.27 says that one of these days, the church will be perfect, but right now the church in this world is not yet perfect, has not reached perfection. Listen to Ephesians 5.27. That he might present her, that is the church, to himself, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, a glorious church. One day the church will be glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. In other words, the, the church in the world right now has plenty of spots and wrinkles and imperfections. But one day, the Lord's church will be purified, holy, and perfect. And so that's true of the, the, the church that's in heaven already, but that's not true of the church that's on earth. Uh, the church still has imperfections. And so some people get dissatisfied with the church because they have issues with the church or maybe they have a situation in the church that affects them or, and, and uh, makes them sour upon the church. Well, things happen in the church sometimes that I don't like and I know the Lord doesn't like. But let me say this. I love the church and I will declare this to be true. I will be in the Lord's church, spots, wrinkles and all, until my Lord calls me home from this world. The Lord Jesus loves the church, and that's where I'm going to be, active and involved in the life of a local church. Jesus and the church are not identical. They are separate, but they are inseparable. In the New Testament, the church then is pictured as the bride of Christ. Jesus takes personally what happens to the church and what's going on in the church. The book of Revelation reveals that, those seven letters to the churches of Asia in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 shows how involved Jesus is in the life of his local churches. 
So in the New Testament, the church is not pictured as the bride of Christ, and not only as the bride of Christ, but in the New Testament, the church also is pictured as the body of Christ. The New Testament speaks of the church in this way, that Jesus is the head of the body, and every believer is a member or a part of the body. That is, a part of the church. And so Jesus, the, the, the church is pictured as a body, the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. He's the authority. Jesus is the Lord. But when you come to faith in Christ, you're placed in that body. That is the church. Now, you may be an arm. You may be a knee. You may be a little toe. <laughs> but every believer has a function and a role to play in the life and the ministry of the church as it carries out its ministry and its mission to this world. And so uh, not only is the church the, the bride of Christ, and not only is the church the body of Christ, not only that is true, but also the New Testament pictures the church as a building that God is building. And that's how the Bible describes the church in these verses that we have read tonight. In these verses, the Apostle Paul pictures the church as a living building with Jesus as the foundation and the cornerstone, and every believer a living stone in that body. And so let's look at what uh, Paul had to say about the church. Now, I will tell you this, and this is true. The, the life of us, the New Testament teaches, the life of a Christian is intended to be lived in fellowship with other believers in the local church. The Christian life is intended to be lived uh, in active and involved in the life of a local church. There's no such thing in the New Testament as Lone Ranger Christianity. The Christian life is intended to be lived in fellowship, in active fellowship with other believers in the life of a local church. And so being a part of the local church is very important. It's very important to Jesus. And it's very important to those who follow our Lord. And so tonight we want to look at what Paul had to say about the church as far as being the building that God is building. First of all, I want us to look from these verses at the foundation of the church. Then we're going to look at the framework of the church. And finally, we'll look at the function of the church. You know that God, the God of the Bible, the creator God of the universe, is a master builder. I mean, just look around. He built the universe. He built creation. God is a master builder. No one knows how to build better than God does. And God knows this, that laying a strong foundation is the first step in constructing a building. If you're going to build a building... The first thing you have to do is to have a strong foundation. God is building his church. So what is the foundation of the church? Well, the foundation of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no other foundation can, uh, can anyone lay that, uh, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul says in these verses. God used the apostles. He used the prophets. He used the apostle Paul. 
to lay the foundation of the church. And the foundation of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The church is built on the truth of Jesus Christ, of who he is, and of what he has done. That's the foundation of the church. Jesus himself is the foundational truth of the church. The truth about Jesus Christ is the foundation upon which all of the beliefs of the church are built. Now, personally, I can fellowship with believers who may disagree with me on the mode of baptism. I can fellowship with believers who may not believe exactly about the second coming of Jesus Christ and how it will play out, as I do. I can fellowship with believers who may disagree with me on what gifts of the Spirit are operational today. I, I can fellowship with believers who may disagree with me on how the Bible says a local church should be governed and make its decisions. But for me personally, I draw the line when someone begins to mess around with the truth about Jesus Christ. That's where I draw the line. The truth about Jesus Christ is the foundational truth of the church. The church is built upon the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. And you don't mess around with that foundation. So who is Jesus? Well, Jesus was and he is God who became a human being by the miracle of the incarnation and the miracle of the virgin birth. Jesus Christ came into this world and he lived a perfect and sinless life. He died a substitutionary death. That is, he went to the cross and he died for the sins of all mankind so that we might be forgiven and delivered from the penalty, from the power, and eventually the presence of sin in our life. Jesus Christ was buried and then he rose from the dead, bodily, physically, rose from the dead. And one day, Jesus Christ will visibly return to this earth one day. Who is Jesus? He's the only Savior. Faith and surrender to Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation. Jesus Christ is the only way to God, and He is the Lord of all. And so I can fellowship and I can work with many Methodists or Presbyterians or Lutherans, those in the church of God, the assembly of God, because that's what they believe. We may believe some things differently, but we all have the same belief when it comes to the fundamental truths of the Christian faith about who Jesus is and what he has done. But I cannot, and I will not, accept as fellow believers those who do not believe the foundational truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, Jesus is the foundation of the church. Jesus is the foundation of all truth. You don't mess around with the truth about who Jesus is. And so in this passage, Paul is talking about the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the building 
God's building in this world. And the fact of the church is the best. Now, about the framework of the church. Well, when you're building something, after the foundation is laid, you have to frame the building. And here's what Paul teaches in these verses. Jesus is both the foundation of the church and he's the cornerstone of the church. Now, in biblical times, when buildings such as, as a temple was being built, the cornerstone was the first block laid in a building. After the foundation was laid, then you begin to put the framework in, and the first block laid in that framework, in that building, would be the cornerstone. And the cornerstone was very important. It was vital. The cornerstone had to be right. And the cornerstone had to be right to ensure that the building that you were building would be straight and square, and everything would fit together. Paul teaches that Jesus is both the foundation and the cornerstone of the church. And that is true of Jesus because he is both God and man. As God, Jesus is the sure, strong, unshakable foundation upon which the church is built. As a man, Jesus is the cornerstone which gives the church stability and direction. Paul says that believers are living stones that make up the walls of the Lord's church. When a person is saved, the Lord Jesus Christ takes that person, using Paul's analogy, takes that person and fits them into the wall of his church. The church is a building of brick and mortar. Most churches have a building where they meet together. But that's really not the church. That's the building where the church meets. The church itself, the people of God, we are a living building, alive with the Spirit of God and redeemed believers. And so in this passage, Paul talks about the church, the importance of the church, and in this aspect, the local church. How important it is that every believer be active and involved in the life of a local church. The Christian life is intended to be lived in fellowship with other believers. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity in the Bible. The church is very important. The church is the, the, the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. The, the church is the building that God is building in this world, the, the building of God. And we've seen the foundation of the church. That's Jesus Christ. We've seen the framework of the church. That's the truth about who Jesus is. And finally, from this passage, we look at the function of the church. Now, every building has a function. So what is the function of the church? Well, the first function of the church is to worship God, to worship God, to serve God, to glorify God. The church is in this world to worship God, to worship Him for who He is, to worship Him in spirit and in truth, to worship Him. The church is in this world to serve God, to serve God by serving others, to serve God by proclaiming the truth of the Word of God, to serve God by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
to serve God, by doing those good things that bring honor and glory to God and draw people to a real faith and trust in the God of the Bible, the creator God of the universe, the heavenly Father, the one who sent Jesus, his son, into the world to die on the cross for our sins. The purpose of the church is to glorify God, to point people to God. What is the function of the church? To worship God, to serve God, to glorify God. That's our first function. Second of all, the function of the church is to be ever-growing in number. That is, ever-growing in new believers. The church should be ever-growing in people coming to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the function of the church is not only to be ever-growing in number, but also growing in spirit. In other words, those who are saved and come into the church, the function of the church is to help us all grow in the Lord, to help us to understand in a greater way who God is, to help us to find our spiritual gifts, to fellowship with one another, to work with one another, to grow in the Lord and to influence the world for God and to be the salt and the light in this world that God would have us to be. And so the function of the church is to be ever-growing, people being saved, coming into the, the church, growing in spirit, spiritual growth in the Lord and in our influence in the world for God. The third function of the church is this, to be a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit in the world. What does that mean? Well, God has said something, the Bible says something, the Lord says something to the church that he says to no other group. And here's what God says to his church. When my people gather together, I'm there. That's an amazing thing. This past week, I was among 90,000 people in a giant stadium. But no promise has ever been given to a sporting event that when those people gather together, God is there. Now, I know God was there, but not in the sense that he has made this promise to his church. When God's people join together, God is there in a special and in a powerful way. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's what Jesus said. When my people come together, I'm there. I'm with them. When they come together in my name to worship me, to to glorify me, to serve me, to proclaim me. Jesus has made this promise, I am there. That's a promise that God has made to no other group in the world. The promise to the church. When the church comes together, Jesus is there. Psalm 22, verse 3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. In other words, God draws near when his people praise him. God draws near. He inhabits the praises of his people. When God's people come together to worship him and to honor him, God draws near. He has not made that promise to any other group in the world. 2 Corinthians 6.16, For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, 
I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So God gathers with his people. And that's the function of the church. To worship God, to serve God, to glorify God, growing in in and in spirit, to be a dwellers in which God lives by his spirit. And so, my friend, the church is very important. The church is the, the bride of Christ. Jesus takes personally what happens to his bride. He's involved with his bride. He loves his bride. Jesus is the body, or the church is the body of Christ. What Jesus would do if he lived here now physically, that is what the church is to be doing. Where Jesus would go, where his feet would take him, that's where we should go. What his hands would do, that's what we should do. Jesus, or the church is the body of Christ. The church also is the building of God. The building that God is, is building, the, the true temple of God in this world. And so we've seen the foundation of the church. That's Jesus Christ. We've seen the framework of the church. church. That's Jesus and the truth of who he is. And we've seen the function of the church tonight. Now, maybe you've had a bad experience at church. But my friend, I want to tell you, church is important. And I would encourage you to get involved in the life of a local church. It will bless you. It will be a wonderful thing. If you've had a bad experience, you have to get back into the church. Be active and involved in the life of the local church. The church doesn't need you. You need the church. (laughs) You need the church to love the Lord and to live for him in this world. Someone wrote a poem one time. It was kind of built on a famous poem, but they changed the words of the poem to fit the church. Let me share it with you. I think that I shall never see a church that's all it ought to be, a church that has no empty pews, whose pastor never has the blues, a church whose deacons always deke, and none are proud but all are meek, a church where gossips never pedalize or make complaints or criticize, where all are always sweet and kind and all to others faults are blind. Such perfect churches there may be, but none of them are known to me. But still I'll work and pray and plan to make my church the best I can. And so that's our study tonight from the book of Ephesians. The importance of the local church, the truth about the local church, and the importance of the local church in the life of the believer and in the life of the kingdom of God and what God is doing in this world. Thank you for joining us for our study Sunday morning. We're back in our church sanctuary, uh, Sunday school at 10 o'clock, morning worship service at 11. Our prayer tonight is that may God bless you and may God be with you and keep you safe. May God bless you all is our prayer in Jesus' name.